Hi everyone, uh, welcome back. Great to uh, be here again. Um, this week we welcome Nader Farohi, uh, a CTO of the Americas for our corporate member Technetics. Based in Calgary and responsible for North, Central and South America, Nader has a background in telecoms and was at Shaw Canada for eight years prior to that as principal architect. He's also just got married, which is great news. Congratulations again. Thank um, you. Thank you very much. I'll just give you a little bit of background uh, to Nader's career. Very impressive. Uh, Nader was appointed uh, CTA, CTO of Americas in June uh, last year. He brings over a decade of experience to technetics, focusing on technology and strategy. Much of his career has been working in research and development, primarily focused on the evolution of broadband access systems and data sciences. He's a tenured industry panelist and speaker at the SCT and Cable Labs conferences. Nader has published numerous white papers and has been a primary contributor to several recent industry developments, including DOCSIS 4 and distributed gain architecture. Nader holds a double major in electrical and electronics engineering, as well as a certificate in systems architecture and management. And with that, I'll hand, hand you over to Tony Basham, our president, who's here to ask those pressing questions. Tony, over to you. Thanks very much, Melissa. Nader, you're coming into one of these buzzword areas, AI, powered automation. This is going to be difficult to get into your 20 minutes, but let's see how it goes. I've been watching this from the outside um, for quite a while now and just sort of tagging along what's going to happen, how's this going to happen. Mm -hmm. But it seems like you've hit a vein in this, a really good vein. And <laughs> I'm, 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 I can't wait to hear sort of where it's going to go. So start by telling me. Neuronex. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, very glad to be here. And thanks for anyone who's listening. And uh, yeah, yeah, it should be a very good conversation. So AI has been a hot topic in the world, as I'm sure everyone's well aware of, like all the stuff that's going on with ChatGPT and all the fun stuff that comes with it. But the way we're looking at AI is fundamentally different than uh, what's kind of what's been perceived in the industry, for the lack of a better term. So we look at a lot of the activities that we have in the field, right? Um, especially from uh, the the fact that it's very dependent on one another from the uh, look at the different parts of the network, right? You have the CMTS, you have the cable modems, you have the amplifiers in between and the remote final, right? Every single one of these areas are incredibly complex and are about to become more complex as we go into the future. And the interdependencies that we have in between them, right? You look at the interdependencies that, as an example, a CMTF has to a serving group with the number of channels that it has bonded to that uh, output power of the amplifiers based on the spans that they see and the cable modems that are receiving it. But uh, the way we've been approaching uh, AI and automation is that uh, we're trying to get the network, the access network, to a point that it's essentially a black box that you have a signal transmission device and a signal receiving device and everything in between should be able to maintain design and align itself. So you don't need to have six different teams working on in silos on every single one of these aspects. Rather, you have a true end-to-end -end network that designs and aligns itself. That's the end goal for Neuronics. That really, that, I mean, that's taking something to a completely different level. Um, being, a, being a cable engineer, I've had to sit out there following a whole chain of amplifiers from the start to the finish, aligning all of them. Are you really going to be able to get rid of all of this alignment going backwards and forwards, making sure I've done it one way and then the other way? Mm -hmm. Very good question. Uh, so I think we have to. 
uh, the, 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 I guess the reality of the situation is that we kind of have to look at a solution like this because you look at um, the, the labor issues that we have worldwide right now, uh, the operational intensity that comes with maintaining and aligning amplifiers and all the activities that are going on from a competition perspective. You look at, um, you know, fiber to the prem, a lot of uh, telcos are building everywhere and that becomes makes them a passive network. And, you know, the inherent benefits and like the biggest benefit of the HFC system is that, first of all, it's an existing asset that has a ton of bandwidth that we can tap into. Uh, but one of the downsides of it would be the fact that it's technically, generally speaking, it's viewed as operationally intensive because of the alignments issue that you just brought up yourself. Uh, the way we look at it is this is, uh, in my viewpoint, and in, uh, I guess Technetics' viewpoint, is it's a must for the industry to look at from a uh, uh, OPEX reduction and just efficiency, operational efficiency point of view, because um, every time something changes in the field, to think that you have to send multiple trucks to multiple locations to align and tune amplifiers, it's just not a sustainable thing long term. And with the te technologies that we have today, we have found incredibly cost efficient and power efficient methods of cross communication between amplifiers and back to a central location for that matter, that allows you to align and tune your network uh, remotely, let alone where we're taking it, is that it, the network should be able to self-determine what the best signal levels are, as an example. And that's just one aspect of it, but I think it's a good one to talk about, yeah. yeah definitely. I think this is this is every man's dream. I mean, sitting, having, <laughs> sitting there waiting for the call to come, hey, I've got a problem with alignment, can you go out there and adjust the potentiometer? Come on, those days hopefully are really gone. But how do we actually get this to give us the benefit? Mm -hmm. Because we're going to still be there where we need to monitor this. And usually monitoring costs something. So having an open monitoring channel, is is that going to cost me bandwidth? <laughs> That's a that you we're we're hitting the the best points of this topic, <laughs> uh, to be honest. This is that this is absolutely amazing. So um, historically speaking, you know, when I was being brought up in the industry, um, transponders were viewed as uh, a very power hungry and uh, both cost inefficient and power inefficient component, let's call it that. Um, we've made great strides in how amplifiers in general operate. As an example, technetics amplifiers are electronically controlled. So that gives us the ability to be able to do a lot of these work remotely to begin with. But even if that wasn't the case, um, just the technology of, let's call it cross communication and the uh, from uh, just getting data out of the field into a central location to do the processing and pushing it back out to the field or whatever component we're, we're, we're discussing here. That aspect of it has come so far, uh, even in comparison to four or five years ago. Like I said, the method that we are pursuing right now, which we'll be having a conversation uh, through cable apps and SCT sessions are uh, incredibly cost efficient to the point that uh, it really doesn't add much to the, to the bill of material, if any. And on top of that, uh, it gives uh, great enough bandwidth to be able to do this cross communication and telemetry to the components that we have in the field. And then all of the processing is going to be done elsewhere because you don't really need to have the system do all of its processing inside the unit itself. All the processing can be done elsewhere and then pushed out to the components in the field. That's how uh, we've been able to make great strides from an efficiency perspective, which is 
the, the, the biggest benefits of AI ML is that a lot of these processes, because some of them can be resource intensive, can be done elsewhere. And then the final optimization, if you will, can be pushed out into the fields. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned cost on this. Um, usually we've had this sort of feeling, okay, I've got a CapEx. I know that <laughs> goes over five years, but then I have the OpEx. Um, and we started using words like TTO, the total cost of ownership. Right, these, right, start right. Play, these start playing games because OPEX was something, yeah, I just got to live with it. It's something I have to do. So when we start getting this in, you're talking about reducing truck rolls, reducing field service costs, then you've got the equipment. So there's going to be an equipment cost, but how do we start getting this? Is it going to be an equipment that grows and can keep on growing? That's a very good question. So, um I mean, we've hit a few points here, so I'll try to summarize it into uh, one concise method as best as I can. So I apologize if I go on a tangent, stop me if I do. <laughs> so um, CapEx is something that we have to be okay with spending as an industry because we're in an incredibly competitive environment. We know bandwidth demands are growing. We know all, there's all, all uh, sorts of services that are gonna come around the corner that would require uh, way more bandwidth than we have enabled in our network city, which is, you know, from what we hear in the industry, that doesn't seem to be an issue, which, uh, you know, is, is absolutely fantastic to hear because uh, investing in the network is something that has to be done through stages. And we've been through this before with, you know, myth split upgrades to high split upgrades. And, you know, we have now Doxit 4 uh, on, on the horizon. Uh, so that solves that issue. So from a CapEx perspective, that's just something that we have to do. OPEX, like we just talked about it, and to, to your point yourself, that's something that catches up with you long-term. That's something that we view this as maybe not a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, but it's definitely once-in-a-many-year type of opportunity to really revolutionize the way we look at operational expenses and operational efficiencies in the field. And it's not like we're trying to you know, uh, decommission all the jobs that are out there or anything like that, which is one of the biggest taboos that exists with AI in general. Uh, the idea is to move away from the inefficient ways that we've done this in the past. Um, I was, like I said, I've, I've, I haven't worked in the field myself, but I've been on plenty of ride-alongs when I was uh, essentially growing up in the industry. And um, I don't think anybody is, uh, uh, thrilled to get a call at 3 a.m. to go and have to align an amplifier or to go around and play whack-a-mole with amplifiers to determine where ingress noise is coming from. All of these can be done with AI today. And that that is something that we have already solved that technics, right? Um, so that is the part that I think we need to focus on as the in, uh, in the industry. And from a cost perspective, um, like I said, there are absolutely ways out there that can drastically minimize the cost of the component itself. But the biggest saving, which I highly encourage um, all of our listeners, especially the operators to do these studies internally, to look at the amount of activities that are incredibly repetitive and quite frankly, quite painful to do for the techs that we have in the field. I think they have much better things to work on than some of the examples uh, that we just gave. And that's where the true cost saving comes and to be able to uh, not have to go out and sweep all the amplifiers every time the tiniest element changes in the field uh, or name an example. There are literally dozens of examples that come to mind for these type of activities, right? Earlier, you akin this to being more of a passive network. I can see where you're getting that from because you're going from end to end and making it Absolutely. more passive. So no touch. Is there any pitfalls in that we just need to be aware of having a sort of a, a passive active network? 
Mm -hmm. Very good question. So um, I, I don't think it's a secret that, you know, we've been uh, the biggest advocate of a one-touch network or a zero-touch network, if you want to call it that, that you essentially upgrade it once and you let it maintain and align itself for perpetuity until either something physically breaks, which doesn't happen often because equipment these days have very high reliability, or something drastically changes in the field that you have to go through the next generation of upgrades, as an example, which is decades into the future from the trends that we see in the world. Um, the uh, the real complexity lies in, I would say probably a big change of mentality of how we think about um, the access network and just design in general, just because um, we've done things for such a, a certain way for a, a long time in our industry. You know, the cable has been around for as long as it's been around. So things have been done a certain way. This is uh, a different way of looking at um, the access network. But the good thing is that it's not too far out there for the lack of a better term, that it's such a change of uh, mentality that we have to like revamp all of our backend OSS systems and we have to revamp the design and we have to revamp the equipment. This is essentially just business as usual, but allowing the repetitive tasks and the painstaking tasks to be done by machines rather than someone sitting there and having to, um, uh, as, a, as an example, uh, either align amplifiers or have to uh, go through the, each serving group and determine what the best number of channels are to be bonded to each cable modem or what the transmit levels of every single modem should be. Because again, like this is something that I can spend an hour talking about. <laughs> but we're not going to like, do that today. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. But think of just like modem transmit modem transmit levels in the upstream or modem receive levels in the downstream. We know that these devices have a great dynamic range and we know that the signal quality dictates uh, is dictated essentially by the starting uh, signal quality being the modem or the RPD device itself. And anything in between, although we optimize for these, those are the parts that matter the most. So that's where we're trying to get to, that the access network is essentially as passive as it could be, so that it just maintains and aligns itself. Quite literally, like uh, the FTTP system does, right? You design the fiber network, and the receiving device receives the level within the dynamic range that it should, and the rest of it is quite literally passive. You don't have anything to maintain and align. Now, I've been a coax advocate for many years. And now this sort of nasty word coming. You've mentioned it twice, FTTP. Mm -hmm. How do these two sort of, they, they can coexist, of course. How Absolutely. do you see that coexistence and what's going to happen? Because one of these, there's decisions being made right now. We're going to go to fiber. Mm -hmm. Is that the right decision? Or is it you've got coex in the ground? Um. I'm uh, going to try to answer this without getting anyone in trouble, obviously. <laughs> uh, not that we're trying to pick sides here, because at the end of the day, uh, and all jokes aside, um, every single technology has its own uh, benefits, uh, upsides and downsides in every single segment of the network. So there are certain areas like Greenfield that we think building fiber is an absolute no-brainer because, you know, the for a large majority of instances, uh, the uh, because of the construction methods that laying the fiber versus laying the coax minus like, you know, uh, some activities that are different from a splicing perspective and all that is practically the same, right? Um, but there are certain areas, like as an example, areas that are, um, uh, let's call them brownfield areas that you have an existing infrastructure of coax networks. We know that DOCSIS can compete with uh, PON and XGS PON for the foreseeable future especially because of DOCSIS 4 upgrades that pretty much every operator said 
publicly that they are going to be upgrading their networks to enable whatever the next generation of um, say access evolution for them is could be high split, could be ultra high split, whatever that might be. And this is exactly where the biggest benefit of coax really shows itself because from a uh, capacity perspective and latency perspective, especially with low latency doxes, we can compete at every level and it's an existing asset. So you don't have to dig up the ground. You don't have to relash cables. You don't have to take customers down, which is a very big uh, focus for not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the younger generations, but, you know, in internet is, is a utility these days, right? So you can't just take down the plant and uh, do work on it or have to upgrade it all the time, right? We have to, we have to move to a model that minimizes the amount of disruptions to the, to the network. And that's exactly another big area that I think automation and AI has probably one of the biggest benefits of, if not the biggest benefit is that it, it takes the reliability and the uptime of your network to a whole new level. You've mentioned a few times now the, the customer experience. Mm -hmm. How does this sounds great? I mean, being a field tech, I don't want to get up at night. So this this already sounds good. But at the end of this, <laughs> we have to think from the other way. We have to think about the customer perspective. So in this, what can we get extra for the customer? What do we need to be aware of? And how do we measure this actually works? Right, right. Um, and that's, uh, I think, the biggest, uh, one of the bigger challenges that uh, we have in front of us is um, increasing the reliability of the plant and increasing the uptime of the plant to orders of magnitudes higher, uh, because that's the number one thing that customers are looking for these days. And it's not a secret, you know, there are plenty of studies out there that, you know, cost and reliability and uh, uptime are the, the the biggest things that customers are looking for. So from a, and again, those are the high points that we've been talking about, right? You know, we have cost efficiencies and optics efficiencies, which if you're a, an efficient company, you can provide efficient services to your end user. And if you are uh, a reliable uh, uh, operator, you can provide reliable services to your end, uh, end users. And uh, a lot of the field, uh, like the activities that we've talked about, um, not just from an upgrade perspective, but from an ongoing maintenance perspective, that's where I think the biggest benefits of automation can, can really show itself because um, from an upgrade perspective, that's something that we know we have to do. Everyone's doing it. Uh, you know, the, from uh, anyone that provides broadband has to go through some sort of an upgrade in the field. But to have to go back to those locations continually to do name and maintenance activity or name and upgrade activity or uh, optimization activity, those are the parts that I think unless you have to send somebody to that location, I think we can fully move away from it. And without giving specific numbers, um, we can reduce the amount of truck rolls related to plant uh, alignment, maintenance, sweep, um, optimization, all of these things. We're talking orders of magnitudes less, uh, unless, like I said, something, at least it becomes your choice to deterministically send somebody to a location after you've determined that, okay, this is something that we can't do remotely, we have to send somebody there rather than let's send a few people out there so that we can start aligning the network and see if we can fix it or not. Those are two wildly different business models. Yeah. And I mean, when we start going into the depths of this, the most important thing is getting that agility into, into finding faults, getting the faults fixed as, as quickly as possible. Um, We've seen this on uh, the fiber networks. Do you start putting reflectors everywhere? Then you can measure where it, where the break is, how it's happening. 
but you've got that extra ability with something active there. Is that going to play a bigger part of this? Is it going to be able well, to do it, something? It absolutely does. Uh, and like one, one of the reasons why I didn't want to go into that is because I didn't want to come across as I'm taking sides, but I think you're trying to get me into trouble here. <laughs> but <Not> with... Uh, <laughs> With with the active net uh, elements that we have in the field and the existing components that we have in the field from uh, the cable modem uh, of, all the way to the RPD node itself, and now with the uh, amplifiers that, as an example, we're bringing to the market, you can determine to a very, and I'm, I'm speaking well into the 95th, 98th percentile degree of accuracy, exactly where issues are coming from. And like I was mentioning before, without giving specific numbers, I'm, I'm just going to say is that a large majority of uh, these uh, faults can be mitigated remotely and without having to send somebody out there to even investigate, which is, again, from a cost efficiency perspective, you have the investigation phase and then you have the implementation and the fixing phase, let's call it that. Most of these we can do remotely and then after it's been determined that, okay, we've we've determined where the problem is coming from. We have looked at resolving it remotely. We've determined that this is not the case. Then we send out someone to do it rather than what we do today, which is to send multiple people out and then try to see if they can resolve it. So the investigation and the mitigation phase can essentially be lumped together from, so from a cost efficiency perspective, like I said, orders of magnitudes better. This sounds nearly too good to be true. Um, it actually does sound pretty amazing, um, but then it also it starts making sense. But I can also see a problem area. We said actives. Actives means powering. Yeah. Um, any ideas on how we sort of get that powering green? Very good question. Um, so thankfully, there's been a lot of uh, great focus at the uh, SCT on, you know, the the Energy 2020 working group, which, you know, we're one of the, uh, I guess, we've always been uh, a, a contributor to the working group, to say the least. And uh, it's a very big focus for us at Technetics. I think one of the things that we have in our DNA is that our equipment's always been power efficient to begin with. And like I said, that is quite literally ingrained in, in our DNA, DNA. So that's something that we're going to continually look into uh, to improve on. And, you know, the next generation of amplifiers that we're bringing to the market are even more efficient than the ones that we have in the field today. So that itself is huge strides in comparison to how things used to be. But we really think that we can take it a, a, a few steps further, uh, as a matter of fact, when it comes to just the efficiency of the devices itself based on the amount of power that they use or the power that they should use. So again, this is a very deep topic, but at a very high level, um, historically, and you know this better than anyone, uh, all amplifiers have had the same output level coming out of them, regardless of the span that is in front of them or what time of day it is, or uh, you know, the node has always had static bonding groups, regardless of the utilization that we have in each serving group. And each of these, like I said, are disciplines of themselves, quite literally. Um, but where we're trying to get to is that because now with AI and ML, we can determine uh, what the best approach is, both from a capacity perspective and RF perspective and signal quality perspective, based on the unique characteristic of each segment, then we can look into 
drastic power savings. We're talking anywhere from 30 to 50% in some of the studies that we've done that you can reduce the power uh, on, on areas that you don't need to overdrive all of your amplifiers to maximize reach or uh, have X amount of bonding groups coming out of your RPD or whatever the case might be. The power supplies themselves, right? That's actually been one of the biggest focuses for Technetics is to uh, bring power efficiencies through DC power to power supplies to reduce that by anywhere from say 20 to 40% as an example. So moving away from being an active plant for HFC is something that will happen gradually as we get fiber deeper um, into the segments and we get you know, reduced uh, or we get cascade reduction going from M plus whatever you are today, four, five to M plus two, three, and eventually M plus zero. Uh, but what we can do today is to buy back all of the power that is just idle for the lack of better term, that itself is a huge amount of saving. And, you know, we know how expensive power is these days. I don't have to sit here and talk about that. <laughs> no, listen up. And just getting into this one as well, I'm thinking about another blocker. We've always done it this way. Why should we change? Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's uh, to be perfectly honest, I think that's the biggest challenge that we have uh, in front of us. And um, thankfully, we work in an incredibly intelligent and well-rounded industry that we've is is used to going through um i guess thought-provoking conversations like this anything from you know uh doxis and spectrum expansions and the way we've done uh plant upgrades they, they, these are things that yeah it used to be done a certain way but at some point we changed the way we look at it i think data analytics is actually a really good way to uh, uh essentially bring this uh, that thought-provoking stuff to the forefront. Um, even, uh, you know, a few years ago, say six or seven years ago, we didn't have access to all the great data that we have access to today. Today, you have a plethora of good data coming from the cable modems, the CMTSs, the nodes, your switches and routers and your capacity and, uh, you know, the, the utilizations that you have per serving group. We have an astronomical amount of data to utilize to make better decisions. And better decision-making is, is essentially the, the, the crux of AI ML and automation in general. So I think it's something that we can overcome, but as it currently stands, I think we need to have a lot of, uh, uh, discussions in the industry and have a lot of honest conversations on where we are at, uh, at, at, where we're at as an industry and where we want to go from the efficiencies that we've talked about. And at least in our viewpoint, the way we look at it, automation is the key to make us even more efficient than we are today from a cost structure and reliability perspective. I mean, machine learning, artificial intelligence, all of this is going to move us into a completely different area. That's revolutionary enough. So what's the next step? What comes after this? Uh, uh, it's self-healing self and self-aligning networks. That's that's the end goal, right? And and it's not like, it's not anything new. I think a self-healing or self-healing networks has been an idea that's been in the um, industry for at least all, as long as I've been in it. Same with network convergence. Like it's another good example of, an, of a concept uh, that has been uh, has been floating around for a while. But um, we always were missing that key component of, okay, we want to get to a self-healing network. What is the element or series of elements that are going to enable us to get there? And we view automation as that key. It's I think it opens uh, so many doors that we uh, probably did not know uh, existed a few years ago. 
And on top of that, I think we're just scratching the surface as far as efficiencies are concerned. Because once you have a, a, a self-optimizing network, the world's your oyster. You can essentially just determine what, what the next optimization thing is to tackle and get to a true black box or uh, let's call it a uh, an open pipe solution to every single user that you have out there that you don't have to have manual interventions in every single segment of your network. You have a network that provides service to uh, your customers similar to a gas line or a, or a water line. So it's, it's the best analogy that comes to my mind. Well, one of the things I've been thinking about now is um, I've actually just bought an electric car. So I've had to phone the electrical company and say, hey, I need more amps. They said, that's not a problem. We just need to change some fuses. We need to do this. We need to do that. And it was like, really? It's going to take, oh, we'll be finishing about two and a half months, three months. This could actually help that, couldn't it? Because you could actually go in as the end user, phoning into a machine and saying, I'd like some more capacity or I'd like something different to happen. Would yeah. that be a possibility that goes all the way through the network? I mean, that that is, um, I, I love that we're talking about these uh, uh, futuristic, thought-provoking ideas that are so within our reach. Like what you described, I know it sounds incredibly futuristic, but with the capabilities that we have today, that's something that we can make within a matter of months, I think, if if the industry came together. And like I said, we're, thankfully, we're, we're uh, trying to spearhead a lot of these conversations in, uh, in you know, SCT, Cable Labs, Working Groups, and, uh, you know, the, the Expo, uh, you know, coming around the corner and just talking to customers and everyone. Um, I don't think there's anything stopping us from having, <clears throat> not only from a provisioning perspective and the service perspective, but just ongoing service in the sense of, I want to add X service to my home. And I know that my pipe is capable of X, Y, Z. Um, I need to be able to, I should be able to just configure that through some sort of an app without having intervention in every single element that we just talked about, right? And that's where the concept of uh, a transparent pipe, uh, that's, we've, we've talked about this at Technetics for a while now. A transparent pipe is, exactly what you just described that depending on what the end user requires every single chip falls in place for for it to make that happen and if it doesn't at least you know specifically and where adjustments need to be made rather than blanketing everything with the same brush which is uh to an extent what we do today in the access network yeah i mean you at the moment you're totally blowing it away so i think here we're going to have to say um we need to stop at some point. Um, going <laughs> okay. to this futuristic world, you've also said when we look at this, we've got sort of in three months' time, if everything goes right, we can actually get these results. Yeah. Maybe we'll come back in three months and we'll see what's what you've got there. Um, this could actually be interesting to follow. I can see you're having some of the pressures that everybody's had all the way through. This is something new. Is there anything you sort of think about that you need to know now? That's a very good question. Um, I'm trying to not go into a wormhole at the end of the podcast, but uh, the one thing that I'm trying to uh, be be mindful of is that um, we need to be uh, as open as we can with uh, with everyone in the industry, and particularly with the, with the customers that we have and the operators, because um, I think having open and honest conversations on where these efficiencies efficiencies might be lacking, where we can improve on and where we can take the industry. Uh, I think that's what gets us uh, the most excited about it. But it's at the same time, it's one of the bigger challenges that we have 
uh, in front of us is to change the way we've always done things a certain way, like you said yourself. So um, just having, uh, you know, having conversations, bringing data in, showing results, doing studies. And uh, I am just going to say this, like, you know, in, in three or four months, time, if we decide to touch base again, I'm never going to say no to that. You know me, I'm always available for these type of conversations. So uh, yeah, if the opportunity presents itself, you don't know where to find me. Absolutely. Definitely looking forward to it. Where, where if we have more information or someone wants to know some more where are they going to go for any more information uh well we are uh putting all the information on our websites uh we're also publishing uh, a few white papers that are going to be publicly available some of which are going to be presented at the expo i'm participating on a few panels at the expo to uh, uh essentially increase awareness on aiml and the benefits that it has to the industry in general automation in general uh and last but not least uh get in touch with us uh, get in touch with us directly you know like my uh my you know uh there's one nader at Technetics, at least as far as I know <laughs> right now. Um, easy to find myself, Jan, the, the CTO team that we have. Um, it'll be, uh, we're always available to have these type of conversations. So please reach out. We'd be more than happy to accommodate any conversation with anyone. Absolutely. We will be at Connected Britain as well in September. Uh, I believe so. Yes, yes. Yeah, we'll yeah. be there. Yeah. That's great. So, Melissa, yes. how much of that did you get? And um, could you just repeat it back to us? I think we're sort of there where this is getting close to being the most perfect podcast. I think so. Wow. That's terrific. Delighted with it. Thank you very we'll much. Take that. Great. That's awesome. That's a huge compliment. Thank you. I appreciate no, that. You can really tell that you're, you're really into it. The, the passion comes across and that's 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 so important. You know, it's it um, makes our job so much easier. So thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank Sounds you. good. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks so much again. And um, yeah, check out our other Spotify channels and you'll, you'll see all other podcasts. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing you next time.